The content in this podcast reflects the anecdotal experience of the guest only and does not constitute medical claims or medical advice, nor does any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or any of the pages of KratomScience.com. Please see a physician and be safe. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. My guest was born in Memphis, went to high school in Europe, where he went on to volunteer for NCOD and the Friends of the Coca Leaf Group. He discovered Kratom at a smart shop in Amsterdam, and he has been using the plant for 14 years. This is Balin Griever, and this is his Kratom and Coca Leaf story. So you, you're out in Washington State now? Yes. Um, I'm over just a little bit north of Portland, so kind of right on the Oregon border there. What about like a little background um, before you moved to Europe? Uh, you went to high school there, you said. And so what, what did your dad do that he had a con? Was he in the army? No, my dad. Uh, <clears throat> so in Memphis, he worked for the Corps of Engineers. Um, so he had an engineering degree background and he ended up getting a he worked a military contract for them. So he ended up doing like land and lease settlement agreements over there, kind of hmm. determining the value of land for like building an installation or something like that. How did you get involved with uh, NCOD? And when I say NCOD for people listening, I'm talking about the European Coalition for Just and Effective Drug Policies. Kind of at an early age, I was always fascinated with psychoactive substances. You know, my mom, she worked at a liquor store, so... You know, alcohol was always around, but then as I got older, I kind of found cannabis. Uh, and I, you know, I really liked what it did for me. I liked what it did for my body. And I was always kind of, you know, surprised that it was something that was so fought against uh, in society in the world that like we have these plants that are, you know, on this planet for us and they're just so demonized. So I was getting kind of depressed uh, in my day-to-day life and so I wanted to get out and kind of do more or be more active in the community. And so I was doing some research online and I found NCOD on the internet and, you know, I really, you know, kind of liked what they were going for. They wanted to, you know, the decriminalization of all plants and education and harm reduction based. So I wanted to be more active in that. And I thought that they were having an event for uh, an organization they were starting, Friends of the Coca Leaf. And I was like, okay, well, I've got to go to Antwerp. I've got to do that. You were living in Belgium, actually? Yeah. Yeah. We were living uh, in Mons or that's the French uh, name for the town. Uh, or if you're Dutch speaking, it would be called Bergen. And Antwerp, is that, that's not, no, Brussels is the capital, right? But Antwerp is yeah. a larger city. Is that right? Yeah. It's a little bit north of the capital. And so is that, is that where their uh, headquarters is? NCOD's headquarters? Um, When Yoop was heading it, it was in Antwerp, the office they had there. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I'm, I know they had a couple different locations. I know they have a, a branch in Spain, too. And so you, you went with your girlfriend, you said, to the uh, Coca Leaf meeting? Yeah, at the time, because, um, you know, I at the time, I had no experience with the plant at all. Never touched cocaine or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I was, you know, it was a totally new experience for me. And, you know, I, at that time in my life, I really not known very much about South American, Bolivian, you know, Peruvian culture. You know, it was it was totally mind opening the whole experience to see 
And just, it was eye-opening too, to see this, you know, group of people sitting around just talking amongst each other. You know, some people would be smoking a joint, some people would be drinking coffee. Uh, but, you know, everybody said their piece and everybody had a turn. And it was one of the most enlightened tables I had ever sat at within COD. It was a really beautiful experience. Were some of the people from Bolivia? Uh, at the time, Yoop's wife, yeah, uh, Beatrice, she was from Bolivia and she uh, she lived with him then in Antwerp. Uh, and they had a, a couple other events that um, they had people come from Bolivia. And then also like later when we had the, uh, the United Nations Conference on Drug Policy in New York, uh, a bunch of people came up from Bolivia there. Friends of the Coca Leaf, so that it was just kind of like a group within NCOD. And so what were the goals of that? Were they trying to make uh, coca leaves legal maybe in Europe? Yeah, under the UN, it was kind of in, in a specific gray area. And so what they were trying to do is they wanted to kind of normalize safe access to fair trade organic coca leaf in the uh, EU that, you know, so I, the way they had it broken down would be five euros for shipping, five euro for processing fees and five euro for the farmer to get 250 grams of, you know, organic leaf, uh, which is, you know, that's quite affordable, you think. And it's also paying the farmer quite a good bit. Uh, it's, I mean, I, you know, I didn't figure out those numbers, but that's what they had done for it. And they were trying to get set up, you know, ways to actually certify farmers in South America because they don't really have that kind of stuff set up in place yet there. I mean, I think more, mm. more, you know, I don't know what's going on these days, but at the time, I think there was only getting started some of this. Yeah. When was this around? Maybe like 2012? Yeah. Maybe, no, maybe 13 or 14, 2014. Talk about this coke leaf thing. Coke leaf, now, for people who don't know, it's kind of like the kratom leaf has been taken uh, traditionally one way, and now we're getting kind of like the extracts and the dried powder and stuff, and it's it's pretty different from uh, the traditional use, and, and that kind of applies to cocaine versus coca leaf as well. Do they stay fresh, like if you import them from South America to Europe? The leaves that we were always getting, we were able to get a couple shipments in. We we eventually did have some issues with law enforcement in a couple places, um, yeah. but we were getting a few shipments in, and they were super fresh. I mean, the quality of the leaves were always. I like, you know, I I don't have much to compare off of because I only chewed leaves there in Europe. A few years ago, I was able to get some leaves here in America, but they weren't as fresh. So yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with supply. How long is it since it's been picked and dried and bagged and shipped? I mean, I think it would be similar issues with the kratom leaf, too. Uh, Yelp was the, uh, what's his last name again? Is it Unan? It's Oman. Oman. I, yeah, Yup Oman. Okay, yeah, he was the founder of NCOD, and um, you said you had a lot of good experiences with him, and he sadly passed away in 2016. So uh, do you want to say anything about him and, and your experiences with him? Absolutely, man. He was probably one of the most motivating figures that I've ever had in my life. Like, he was just a level of driven to change policy and get things done. And, you know, the kind of people he knew and the kind of places that I went with NCOD, you know, it's it's really, you know, I miss him to this day. Um, you know, I, I got to stay in his house and, and eat with him and 
uh, bring him into my house and share things and experiences and just change my life. You know, it's, he's sadly missed, but, you know, I think that momentum we need to keep up, you know, we need to take that momentum and drive and, and continue that on. Yeah, and you actually went to the UN at one point. Was it with NCOD, NCOD or was it with the uh, Coca Leaf group? Yeah, so with the friends of the Coca Leaf, with the, like you said, it was a it was a branch under NCOD. Um, that uh, we also in the founding members there was Julian Ural, uh, another guy that lives in Brussels, another really good friend of mine. We went to some concerts together and had some great times with him as well. Uh, plays blues music there. I haven't. I haven't been in touch with him in a while, but uh, he managed to fly out. Um, Beatrice didn't come because uh, of youth's recent passing. Um, and then we had uh, a couple of friends from Bolivia come too. So I was able to get this really nice hostel in Brooklyn for pretty affordable prices, to be honest with you. And my girlfriend and I stayed there with Julianne and we had these two friends from Bolivia come and, you know, they're wearing traditional dress and the traditional hat and just like walking around New York City, staring up at the big skyscrapers and chewing coca leaf at the same time. It was it was an experience in New York, especially probably how New York is now. What did uh, NCOD, uh, what kinds of things that they and Yope accomplished like while you were with them? Uh, another project that was going on before Friends of the Coca Leaf was the Belgian Cannabis Social Club they had plant who've plant okay uh and i think it's freedom to plant okay is the translation and it's in dutch or flemish but and so there was a loophole in the law there too where you could grow three plants in your household as a, as a belgian citizen legally and what they did is they set up grow organizations where they would you would come in you would pay a membership fee they would scan your id and they would grow your three plants for you with your ID hanging on the plants. Uh, and then when they were ready and fully flowered, you could come pick them up and pay for them. They'd have like a list of strains you could pick through and you would get one bag with the roots and the stalks and you get one bag with the flowers all taped together. So together it was considered one plant. Uh, and so you could do this every number of months as it was going and how they were ready. Uh, and I believe they got their doors kicked in at least twice. Uh, and then they were taken to court and then they won in court both times. So they were found legally to do it. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if they still messed with them since then or not, but that was something that was already going before Friends of the Coca Leaf that I was able to join as a general member and take part of, uh, but I didn't do any, you know, associate like, you know, I wasn't on the board there. And then I was just a general member within Todd too. So I was able to attend the general assembly there. Uh, but most of my work was in Friends of the Cold. When, when did you uh, discover Kratom? Was it uh, while you were at NCOD? It wasn't through NCOD that I discovered it. I, it was... Around the same time, probably a little bit earlier, um, you know, I, I was living with my dad at the time and he was, you know, pretty open minded. And I was also of the age, so he couldn't really do anything anyways. But, uh, you know, we would go to the Netherlands together and go to the coffee shops and, and he would smoke cannabis with me. And <laughs> But they would have these other stores too, uh, smart shops. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're 
basically an, an alternative shop in the Netherlands where you can buy things like the mushroom grow kits, the truffles, the psychedelic truffles, uh, hmm. salvia leaf, kratom is another thing they have there. And uh, I was more interested in the mushrooms at the time, but I noticed he was always, you know, going over and, you know, asking them about this leaf and buying it. And then he would take it home and mix it up and drink it. And I tried it a few times. I didn't really notice much the first few times, but I went back and tried it again later. And then I remember feeling like, wow, I can see why he would really like this. Like, it just makes you feel warm, comfortable, like talkative. You don't feel like you have pain or stressed out about anything. Uh, and we just sat up and talked the rest of the night and watched some movies together. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, the the whole grow issue. You said you do grow kratom plants. Is that right? Yes, I do. Yeah, just recently. Cool. How many uh, plants do you have? I I got four. Uh, yeah, cool. I found a guy down in Texas that I liked. Uh, and I think originally, like I've had my eye on them for years, but I, I think originally you were only able to get two kinds, the bumblebee from Vietnam, and then the, the rye fat Thai. Okay. Uh, but he's now offering two. He's offering one from Malaysia and one from uh, Indonesia as well. So I have the supposedly genetics from four places. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. Uh, do you see, do you notice differences in them? Yeah, I do. And that's, you know, that's also kind of reassuring to me that they are different genetics because uh, I noticed the Malaysian is much slower growing with very broad leaves. Uh, the bumblebee is slower growing too with tinier leaves. Uh, both the Thai and the Indonesian genetics are pretty rigorous. They have a bunch of new growth on the shoots. Yeah, the the whole the whole like um, right to eat, right to grow is like a good issue, I think, because the thing you know you see like these cannabis companies in the united states lobbying against home grow do you foresee that that might happen with kratom in the future you know i'm i'm really curious to see how that goes uh i feel like in some directions like especially well i don't know in washington state i feel like the medical patients really got gypped because all you can pretty much do is grow your plants at home and get a 15% discount in the store. You don't get any quality difference. Mm. Whereas in Oregon, there's actually a, a quality difference in the product. Um, and in Oregon, you can grow too without a medical card. But, you know, and I feel like with hemp and stuff, they're loosening up a little bit too and letting people grow. I know Oregon changed their laws and loosened up some of their cannabis laws too. So I'm really hoping with the whole movement to, you know, farm more and community garden that it's going to, you know, ensure that we can just continually grow plants. It's like it should be a necessity to grow plants. And plus the fresh leaf experience is different. Absolutely. Yeah. Leaf. So you said you've been uh, using Kratom for 14 years. Yeah, I would 13 or 14. I don't want to give myself too much there, but yeah, around that time, not, not all the time, of course, not like every day for every year. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've, you know, I've been familiar with it for that range of times. Kratom next to cannabis are two of the most beneficial plants I've ever found in my life. I mean, for what they can do for me. And and I, I don't like to be messed up. I, I have a very active lifestyle. I work two jobs and I don't drive my, I ride my bike to work now. And uh, so I need to be functional and I wouldn't take anything into my body. that's going to make me feel, you know, func not functional when I need to be. Which is, I think, the biggest difference. The poppy-based compounds seem to be more inebriating and sedating. I mean, 
I feel like they have their place in medicine. Like if you're really hurt or debilitated, yeah, you need to be kind of sedated and relaxed and not move around. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but for, you know, I think, uh, I think the uh, Asian culture with using Kratom for work really got it right. Uh, you know, I, I love using it for my, for my work day. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, but I take, you know, I, I take the different uh, drying methods throughout the day. I'll, I'll, I'll take a white in the morning and then I'll move on to a green. And then in the evening, I'll take a red, uh, which I didn't, I didn't used to do that. I, when I started taking it, when I was younger, uh, I would only take the reds and that would be primarily what I would take, you know, throughout every day. So how do you, how do you use it? Do you do a tea or do you do toss and wash? I used, when I first started doing it, uh, cause my dad would always mix it in juice. So yeah. that's just kind of how I, I did it. And then, you know, I moved away from that. I moved to capsules for a little bit because it was just easier when I was out working. Uh, it's really expensive and I, I feel like it's wasteful because I, I don't think the absorption is really good. Uh, lately, I've moved back to the toss and wash, which I've never actually done before in my life. But uh, yeah. I really like the taste of it. And uh, okay. I like to put it under my tongue <laughs> and have it absorb under my tongue. I was listening to another episode. A guy was saying the same thing. Yeah, Brandon, uh, Alaska. And then I'll get a, a little, and then I'll get some lemon and lime juice and water, and I'll wash it down with that. But uh, but I do buy tea bags too, and I do really like the tea bags too. How much do you would you say you take on an average day? Um, you know, I used to take a lot more last year during the pandemic, and I really cut back i've also switched vendors uh i was listening to episode 71 this morning and you guys were talking about uh how you wish there was a vendor that put out a full panel report for uh like similar to a you know what you get at a dispensary or something and yeah. that's why i'm really impressed with my new vendor because you'll have each different compound not just the nitrogenine and the seven hydroxy they have the speciosine and all the other compounds in there uh, so I've actually been taking quite a bit less. Uh, I take about a teaspoon a dose, but, uh, but I take, I was trying to think of this morning. I take about six to eight throughout the day. And have you ever, you've been taking it for 14 years. Have you had any, uh, like, uh, dependency issues that were, that turned into a, like a bad habit? I mean, not in the way that, you know, I've definitely got, you know, I, it, it's comparable to like a mild case of the flu. But yeah. when you feel like it's going to get bad, it, it never gets bad. You might lose a night of sleep or two, but you could still work the next day is the thing. Like I could still work even when I don't have it, which is, you know, not something you could say really with something like, you know, hydrocodone or poppies or something like this. Like you might be bedridden if you're really sick from it. But, you know, generally... Uh, you know, nobody should ever have to do that unless they really want to stop that way. You should always do a slow taper, if anything. It, it, I mean, it, doing it that way, it's almost painless. That seems like it. I've never even had, like, a dependency because I just never have taken it that much. Uh, it, it seems like it's, for most people, it's entirely manageable, uh, even if you are, you do have, a, like, if I stopped doing coffee, cold turkey now, some something would happen, but I just never tried it because I like coffee. <laughs> oh man, I I try and take a day or two off of the caffeine and I get nasty headaches and I, I don't oh, really do much that day. So it definitely has it definitely has a withdrawal too. Yeah, I mean I could take a couple days off without noticing it, but 
I have never tried, like, I'm just not going to drink coffee for a month to see what happens. So it'd be interesting to try. We're so used to coffee in our culture that, that people don't notice that it's actually you're dependent on it. You have like a tolerance and a caffeine extracted is actually highly toxic. Yeah, it's kind of like since Kratom has been in our culture, or hasn't been in our culture, that's that's the reason people are developing a lot of problems uh, with it, because I, I feel like it's just a learning curve. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there, because, you know, the, the fact that when I was younger and my dad already knew about it, he would tell me about it. He's like, yeah, if you take it every day, you know, you'll probably feel bad for a couple of days, so try not to take it every day, or if you do, just take a little bit less. But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing here is like, you know, these people taking it in America, they didn't grow up with it, you know, being in their culture. So education is one of the biggest parts of that. You seem like you're health, pretty healthy, but you, have you ever had like side effects with, with Kratom? Um, you know, if you take too much, you'll definitely get a, a little hot sweat and, and puke. But that's, yeah. you know, your body saying you took too much. Other than that, I mean... You know, I have noticed a mild diuretic effect at times, uh, some some dry mouth. But from that, I mean, those are just very, I would consider those very mild side symptoms. You know, I guess I could see some dizziness coming with the nausea, but if you're nauseous, you probably should be laying down anyways. I've, I've noticed way more side effects from my alcohol consumption and including that. I mean, that, and that's a legal compound there. Have you ever had like a doctor that you that you told about your kratom uh, consumption? I've always been pretty open with them in the past, and I've never. Most of the time, I've just gotten like, okay, they probably didn't know much about it, so they're like, okay, how does it work for you? Uh, oh, okay, that's fine. They're like, okay, well, they don't know anything about it, but they're not like disapprovingly. Yeah, I have a new doctor here that that I went to, and I don't know how to take it. He kind of came at me with this like. You know, that's from, they they grow that in Thailand, which of course, like, it doesn't come from Thailand yet right now. I don't have the established industry to ship yet, yeah. even though it was just legalized. <laughs> uh, but he, and, and then he goes on to say, well, they wipe their butts with their bare hands there. So oh, um, great. he made not the best sorts of information. So, <laughs> but... <laughs> Usually they just, you know, they seem pretty open-minded, at least the ones that I've had. Uh, they don't know. They're maybe cautious with it. But he uh, he just, maybe he doesn't like the area or something like that. I don't know. Okay, so what do you think about the bills in uh, Washington? I There's one, it, I actually just found out today that the guy... Um, there's there's a band bill and there's a KCPA bill, so and it's the same sponsor. So I just found out the guy actually that was going to put the band bill through it changed his mind and wrote a Consumer Protection Act bill. Have you heard anything about that? Oh, okay, so you actually saw that there was a KCPA on the Washington webpage. Oh yeah, there is. There is. I did not. I did an article. Um, I posted today about all the active bills, and then somebody told me that um, the same sponsor. Uh, I think his name's Honeyford. Yeah. He actually. I think the AKA probably met with him and convinced him to uh, do a KCPA instead. So it's it's both of the bills are sitting in the same committee, uh, Law and Justice Committee. I mean, we'll see what happens, but I think he's going to let the ban bill die and then try to do the. Consumer Protection Act bill. Cool. That's good. Yeah, that's I from what I knew because I, I I went to the meetings uh, and then I 
sent him an email and, you know, from what I understood that it was looking pretty good. I didn't know that he he put the KCPA bill up and sponsored it. So that's, that's good to know. Yeah. I think it'll be good here in Washington. Um, you know, it would be really a bummer for me to have to get my credit shit to Oregon and go down there and get it. But yeah, that's mostly what people do. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> it's just, unless you're in Alabama or these Mississippi counties where they're actually really busting people, like it's a drug. I think most people like in Wisconsin, for example, just cross over the border and buy their creative and bring it back. Yeah. Now Mississippi is the one that's uh, worrisome right now from mm. what I understand. Yeah, they have. They've had a big funded uh, prohibition thing going on there, and I think uh, the one activist I talked to down there said she thinks that actually the legal cannabis lobby is putting money into it, and the law enforcement is, which should be sort of illegal. I don't think you should have law enforcement lobbying for laws that they're going to arrest people over they i think they're afraid they're going to lose their reason to arrest people and so they want something else banned uh since cannabis medical cannabis is legal there now i think you know i heard that too through i think i was reading something on on reddit or something like this and i was reading that but i didn't know that they were actually you know funneling money that's they seem to be doing that in a lot of places i'm that's i'm worried about that too with the the whole rising psychedelic industry and and the Mm. patents for psilocybin that i've been hearing about because you know now there there's psychedelic uh companies being traded on wall street and it's becoming a mainstream thing now so it's kind of like uh what's gonna happen now oh you know hopefully it won't be illegal but am i gonna be able to grow mushrooms if it if it becomes legal or do i have to get them from a doctor or you know who's gonna be the gatekeepers now well i I guess the only advantage there is even when it's been illegal it's never stopped people (laughs) yeah really it goes in back to that right to grow thing, though. I mean, because honestly, if, if they'll just leave me alone and let me grow whatever I'd like to grow, most of the time, all the, the plants that I've found are in a lot of ways superior to whatever synthetic counterpart they've extracted out of it. Yeah, that's certainly the case with with Kratom. Um, you were talking about some uh, the extracts and how, you know, there's companies that have like a 70 70% mitragenine extract. Uh, do you want to comment on that at all and what you think should be done about that? I I don't want to prevent anyone from participating in science or doing something like that, but I feel like there should be, no, I don't even know how to work around. I mean, I just feel like there should be a little bit more warning or red tape or information around that because you're kind of moving away from something that seems to be self-regulatory to something that's more like uh, a pharmaceutical compound in a way, or at least one that could carry the same type of risks uh, long-term. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of going back to the coca, coca leaf. I mean, I've heard that, you know, coca leaves and coca leaf tea are just, you know, even taken by kids in, like, Colombia. Um, I don't know if you know more about that. You probably do. But, uh, you know, cocaine is is the extraction and that has bigger risks of uh, developing problem use. And I wouldn't want to see Kratom, especially like isolated 7-hydroxy be available all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, and then I was listening to another one of your journal clubs 
too, where, you know, the quantity of 7-hydroxy, even in the fresh leaf, isn't really substantial whatsoever. So most of the time, it's not even consumed in large doses like that. I know when people start developing, like, bad habits, they'll just get one of those and drink it like it's an energy shot, like it's a caffeine shot, and, uh, you know, four of those a day are probably, like, you know, it's costing you a hundred, not a hundred bucks, but that'd be, like, what, 80 bucks a day, or depending on how much they are, and that's where you get into a bad habit with, uh, you know, wanting to keep that, keep the buzz going. It's just so expensive at the stores, too, to buy those things compared to, you know, buying it in bulk somewhere. And, you know, I'm thinking back, too, because uh, I, I I looked through all the QR code reports for the, you know, the vendor I'm using now. And every single one of them has, like, the, the most negligible 7-hydroxy, you know, number coming in. None mm-hmm. of them are over point zero 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 one. I, you know, and I, I don't. And the thing that I have uh, is, is I can take the plant, you know, and I use it for anxiety and, and a number of other things, but, but I can take the same dose and get the same desired result that I want from it, not to get, you know, inebriated to get the relief that I want mm-hmm. every single day without really needing to increase it. And then I've noticed if you start making or taking the extracts into the mix, it jacks your tolerance up one day and you can't. You have to go from there. You have to take more from there. You can't go back and take the same amount. It's kind of like in a small yeah. period of time, we're kind of just like exponentially. It's like we have cranium. We already have strong extracts. That's why, I mean, do you support, you know, these regulations? So they at least have have to have some kind of something on the label to suggest serving size and, and maybe even like a safe use warning company i've been using now i'm super super impressed with it's it's everything that i want uh, you know out of a, a company like that like clearly printed on the back all the numbers uh serving size all that and then a qr code i mean and, and then if that's already a company working under the aka certifications then i fully support the kcpa and what they want to do if that's what they're going to bring to the table for the consumers because i have a lot of people i know in, in the area that also use the plant that don't do what I do and get it from some play. They buy it from the stores every day, every week. Mm. And there is one store in town that does have a vendor or does sell a vendor. It's Kratom that, uh, that is on the AKA list. That isn't bad. It, it's, it's, it's all right. Uh, but a lot of the stuff I have no idea. And, and I also work at a CBD store and we've had customers come in that are on other compounds and prescriptions that have, taken Kratom from the gas station one day or the the store and they had a terrible experience. Hmm. Uh, And I don't, you know, that doesn't need to be happening for people. It doesn't look good in the light of Kratom. And and I don't, I don't know. Something has to be wrong with it. If it's, it it has to be either an interaction to a prescription, which is another reason why we need so much more education and research because it's a plant that has multiple functions in the body. So, you know, we don't know what's out there. I mean, fentanyl's ending up in pills in kids' hands. Like, mm-hmm. who knows what's in the stores? So you've been involved in drug policy advocacy with NCOD in Europe. What do you think about Kratom advocacy in the U.S.? What are they doing good and what needs to improve? I've been a lot more involved in it in the last probably six months than I have prior. Uh, mm. I've always known about the uh, the AKA. I was very impressed with the turnout for the World Health Organization 
and what they brought to the table there. Mm-hmm. That was probably the selling ticket for me. Um, I know there's some rumors and things where they want to you know, monopolize it or, but you know, it's unfortunately that's just the name of the game. People are going to do that. And they do do that in the indie industry. We just need to be cognizant of that and try and make sure it doesn't happen the best we can try and ensure that it stays in the hands of the people that need it. Like we have been, you know, the, the, the amount of fight and energy that I've seen out of this country for the people that consume this plant is, is really remarkable, you know, I mean, but that should also tell you how badly these people need this plant. I'm just wondering, like in comparison, do you think, uh, Kratom, uh, advocates should maybe reach out to a larger organization like Drug Policy Alliance because you have that was started by a guy, uh, you know, Ethan Nadelman, who was like sincere and passionate, and it's like you know a real nonprofit, and, and I'm sure they get plenty of uh, industry donations and stuff. But it just seems like a you know it's kind of a real advocacy organization rather than kind of mostly an industry organization did you see like a parallel with that in uh, like ncod with uh with uh yo yeah i would see more of a parallel with that it was ncod was more about just sustaining enough to keep going it was very low mm-hmm. budget from what i saw but uh but it in that turn it had great results i think it had great turnout uh and a lot of dedication i think reaching out uh an advocacy with Kratom in any direction would be beneficial. I mean, especially something that would be nonprofit for the people. Uh, I was watching uh, a little segment on YouTube for Leaf Magazine. They do a cannabis magazine in a number of you know legal states. And they had a segment on Kratom there uh, talking about how that, you know, Creative advocacy should curtail off of cannabis advocacy. Definitely use the same plant or use, you know, you know, use that fact that they're both plants that are being criminalized. And, you know, when you can educate somebody about one thing, educate it about the other. And honestly, medicinally, both plants go great together. And I think also, too, like uh, organizations like Normal and Drug Policy, they already have that infrastructure. Cannabis is they're having successes with it, and eventually it's going to be legalized federally. And like after that, uh, they have all the infrastructure there, and you know, hopefully they could take up uh, the kratom cause and have it be a larger movement. Uh, oh, I just wanted to say though that that was what I was so impressed with NCOD is it wasn't just one plant, one facet, it was every single plant, like. Like they started with cannabis. Once cannabis was legalized and you could have it grown and accessed, and it was coca leaves they were working on. After coca leaves, maybe it was going to be psilocybin mushrooms then, or then it was supposed to be poppies. But they had a list, you know, all these plants were on the list to be, you know, decriminalize their own medicine. And I think that's the direction that it should go. Do you worry that if Kratom is developed into a drug, it then they'll try to try to outlaw the plan i i mean dr mccurdy told me he he wants people to still on this podcast he said he would like for people to still have access to the plant and there's a lot of medicines that are made like there's a medicine made out of foxgloves and foxgloves are still legal so what do you think about that That, yeah that's been my one of my concerns even when i still lived in europe because that was my first thought is oh well you know back when they tried that it was the two 
2016 when they tried to ban it in the United States. Uh, and, you know, everybody protests and, you know, they, they went back down. I thought it was more because they wanted to make some interesting drugs out of it and they didn't want to make it schedule one at that point. And then after they did that, then they would make it illegal, you know, and I've heard a lot of doctors and I've heard a lot of scientists say the same thing that, you know, they would like people to still have access to it. And I would really hope that that's the way it goes, but that's, you know, the reason why I got plants of my own and I would probably get some more too, just cause I, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And it is a concern of mine, yeah. I think everybody should uh, try to grow some. Yeah, I baby mine. You might as well think I have like a cannabis grow operation going. It's not super fancy, but I got a tent and then a humidifier and heater and light. You can keep the temperature, you know, pretty much within the proper range in there. And the humidity doesn't fluctuate too much. And then, you know, I got one on Amazon, actually, and it's I'm pretty impressed with quality of it uh it's lined with that reflective material so the light bounces around mine aren't growing the most fast but they definitely have some growth have anything else you wanted to talk about that i didn't bring up i just wanted to say thank you so much brian for uh everything you do on your podcast and your blog since i found you uh i really enjoy every thursday and just the fact that you have upcoming research and interesting people from around the united states and the world actually uh is a pleasure to listen to. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Balin Griever. So far on the Kratom Science Podcast, we don't advertise, we don't ask for donations, but we do ask for your help. Please share this on social media. Please like, subscribe, comment, rate, review. The music is by Risey. The song is called Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher for KratomScience.com. Take care.